Good morning, church. How are we doing? Hey, it's good to see all of you guys this morning. I hope that you're excited to be here uh, as we start into and dig into week three of our series, Necessary Sins. My name is Brian. I'm the teaching pastor here at Fusion City Church. And man, I'm just so honored to, to have the privilege of standing on this stage today uh, and, and speaking to you as we look into to God's word about what he has to say about some of these sins that we consider Necessary. Now, maybe you're thinking to yourself, this is your first time, you haven't been here yet in the series, like what in the world is a necessary sin? Well, we've kind of defined it like this throughout, throughout this series over the last couple of weeks. If you haven't had a chance to be with us, I'd encourage you to go and check out the podcast last week and, and kind of get caught up on what we're talking about. But, but this is the idea, that all of us in, in, in our lives at some point have, have placed these things that we, we know the Bible says are, are sin or, or things that God wouldn't want us to have be involved in or whatever, but we, we tend to categorize those things in kind of two categories. There are these sins that, are, that we know and believe and everybody would agree both inside of the church and outside of the church that those things are always wrong. Like if, they were gonna, if we're gonna call sin, sin, then those things are always sin. Things like, like rape, Things like murder. I think most of us would say that, that you know, stealing or, or taking something that didn't belong to us was, would fall into that category. But then there's these, there's these other categories. There's this other group of sins where, like, man, just everybody does it. It's just kind of a part of life. I mean, can't even we inside of the church kind of back off a little bit and relax a little bit? And, hey, look, man, it's just part of the way life happens. You know, just let it go. Yeah, my, I bought my daughter a, um, a frozen doll this week, and so let it go has been a common theme in our house this week. So, like, just, hey, man, just, like, just, let, just relax. You know, what's the big deal? And what we've learned over the course of this series is that even though culture and the world and even a lot of us in our own lives will say, hey, look, like, I know there's sins, but come on. Like, I'm, I'm not even the worst person at doing that that I know. I mean, this can't be that bad, that even those things that we might categorize as less than hurtful or just part of everyday life or or whatever, however we may categorize those, that God sees them very differently. And we want to, as we pray through and as we begin to understand what it is that God wants for our life, much like Pastor Quentin kind of got us kick-started this morning with the verse from Psalm 139, we want to ask God to search us, to look inside of us into the things that we're involved in and ask, hey, God, if if there's anything in me that that offends you, like, I want to know about it so that I can fix it. And and that's been the the whole premise for this entire series is we want to understand the things that that we might be guilty of. Of, of rationalizing or marginalizing is not that bad, but God has a very different opinion. And today's going to be no different. Now, last week we talked about gossip. Uh, I heard a lot of feedback from a lot of, uh, a lot of you, a lot of, a lot of you. I don't, know, I don't even know what that is. I'm just kind of rambling a minute. But um, I heard from a lot of you that it was really challenging last week. Like, man, like I, I'm, I'm kind of guilty of the whole gossip thing. And, and for me, too, like even as I was writing the message and kind of preparing to, to, to teach last week, I found myself being really convicted about the scriptures that I was finding as it pertained to what God has to say about gossip. As a matter of fact, throughout this whole series, I feel like God is just kind of wrenching down into the parts of my life that I don't really want him to wrench down into because I'm beginning to experience some, some conviction over it. Like we started off with lying. 
been talking in week one, we talked about lying, and I'm like, well, you know, I don't, I'm not really, a, I don't lie. Like, I'm, I'm a pretty truthful guy. Like, I don't, I don't lie very much. You know, it's, if I do, it's those, you know, we talked about them, like those little white lies or whatever that still aren't pleasing to God, but whatever. Like, I don't really, I don't feel like I struggle very much with lying. And then we got into last week, and it was gossip, and I was like, ooh, that one hits a little bit closer to home. And then this week, we're talking about lust. And for as just a, a man in general, and then a, a man that this has been a, a huge struggle and part of my life. You guys have heard me talk about my testimony a little bit and some, some battles with an addiction and, and that kind of stuff. So, I mean, it's, it's a big part, especially for men. Right? 50%, 50% of men are addicted to pornography. I don't know if you guys knew that. One in two, right? inside, not just inside the church and out. It's, just, it's, it's rampant in our, our nation, in our culture, and in our world. And though we typically think of, of, of lust as it pertains to, to sexual lust, and as we typically think of lust being a very male-dominated or very male-centric problem, uh, I did some, some research this week and found out that recent studies show that while, yes, 50% of men, so it is still very rampant in men, one in six women, one in six women are addicted to pornography. That is Christian women and non-Christian women. So this is not, this is not isolated to the, uh, to, to the male. Right? It's not isolated to the men. And so we want to have a very accurate understanding of what it is that God has to say about this. Now, lust, just as a way of definition, lust is defined as a passionate or overmastering desire or craving. So something that, that has control, something that has influence, something that affects us to the point that it would ch- cause a change in our life. And, and much like many of the other topics we've talked about in this series, God has a very different opinion about it than I would think that most of us may. And so it, just kind of to get us on jumping off point, let's look at what Jesus had to say on the issue of lust. This is what he said, Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, and for, men, for women this could be men, anyone that looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So this is what Jesus is saying. It's worse than you think. Like you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. And you're like, well, cool, because I don't commit adultery. And he just said, no, 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 no. You, you, you got to understand that to look lustfully is to commit adultery. It's worse than you think. In other words, it's a bigger deal than you've, a typic, than you've typically assigned to it. It is a big deal. 50% of men, one in six women, the, the, I don't know if you knew this or not, the, the, the most uh, active demographic as it pertains to pornography on the internet are, are between the ages of 12 and 17. This, this, is a, this is a big deal. And it's in our children. It's in our students. It's affecting them more than anybody else. And so much like the weeks prior, here's what I want to do. In order to, to eradicate a problem, we have to dig down into the root cause of the problem. If we only eliminate the symptoms, then we don't cure the disease. And so I want us to look at the why behind the what. Why do we struggle with lust? Why is it such a rampant part of our lives and our culture and women and men and young people and older people? It doesn't matter. It's not discriminatory. 
And so it was something that's so prevalent in our culture and our context. How or where does it come from? So look with me, if you would, at James chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We're going to be in, in, the, in the book of James for primarily today, or honestly only from here at this point out. Uh, we're going to be in James chapter 1. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, uh, feel free. We have the version app if, on version Live. You can follow along with us. All the scriptures are already in there for you. Uh, if you don't have either of those, uh, we're going to put the words on the screen so you can follow along with us that way. James chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by, with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So there is no evil in God, therefore there can be no evil from God. So our temptation, the things that we struggle with, anything that is tempting to us that is sinful is not of God. It cannot be. It is not God sitting around with the angels up in heaven saying, hey, y'all watch this. Like, I'm about to get him. You see, Brian? What? Watch this. Watch this. I'm attempting. Watch what he does. Let's see what he does. Like, doesn't happen. Does not come from God. Our temptation, lust, all that stuff, not from God. Comes from somewhere else. Where does it come from, you ask? Let's look at the next verse. Verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. You want to know where lust comes from? It comes from you. It's already in you. You were born with it. It comes from our own selfish desires. Our temptation is born out of what we want. I mean, that's, I mean it makes sense, right? I mean, come on, let's be, I mean, a, I'm not completely sheltered from the rest of the world. The, Evil can be kind of fun. Sin, sin can be fun, can it? I mean, come on. If you ain't, if you're not having fun when you sin, you ain't doing it right. I mean, sin can be fun. It can. Sin is fun, but not all fun is sin. You hear me? Y'all got that right? That's tweetable. You can put that. That's Twitter. You can put that. You can tweet that. Sin is fun, but just because you're having fun doesn't mean that you're. Sinning. We, a bunch of friends and I went last night, had a great time. I don't think we sinned at all. Well, we went to a haunted trail. We might have said some words and weren't very Christian. But, but we had fun. And, and I don't think there's nothing, nothing sinful about it. All right, so you can, sin is fun. Not all fun is sin. So it is our desire. It's what's in us. It's already there. Something that we would desire. Something that would be appealing to us that leads us into lust, into Sin. As a matter of fact, this word entice in verse 14, it's, um, it's the Greek word deleazo. All right, here, here's the definition. Deleazo, it's a fishing term. All right, this is a, a term that, that those who speak Greek, not me, like those who speak Greek would, would say this in reference to like the act of, the business of, or participating in a fishing, right? So here, here's the definition. Um, it is to entrap, to allure, Entice, there's our definition of it in, in verse 14. Or I like this, I like this one, to hook. It's to hook. Now, think with me for a minute, like a fish. Everybody do this. Right? Like, yeah, sorry. No, don't do that. You look silly. Just don't do it. I'll, I'll look silly for you. Like everybody can see me. You don't have to. All right, so think with me for like a, a fish, right? And, and you're swimming along, minding your own business. 
And right there in the middle, hanging, floating, is a worm. Worms don't float. Like, the, like this is my lucky day. I, I, here I am. I'm just looking for something to eat. I ain't got to go digging around on the bottom. And right here in front of me is a delicious-looking worm. I don't know why it's floating, but hey, it's, it's right there. Like, it looks so delicious. And I ain't got to work for it. It's right there. Like, I, this is my lucky day. Right? The fish mentality, I think. I don't know. I don't think there's been any studies done. You're just going to take my word for it. And if you've ever been fishing, you, you know what they do, right? When, you, when you've got a worm, like you've got a bobber, and you're waiting a worm, and like it's out there, they, they nibble. I don't know if that's a correct fishing term. That's what we use in my, in, in my family. We, they're, they're nibbling at it. That's what we say when we're fishing. Like they, they'll hit it, and like the bobber will move. And you're like, oh, you, you get kind of excited, right? And you're like, nope, not, not yet, not yet. And then they get a little more aggressive, a little more. And then before long, they'll, they'll, they'll finally be comfortable. And like, I, I just, I can't say no. There it is. It's a worm. I got to eat it, right? And so they chomp down. And then from that point on, they're done. Like once they are hooked, there is nothing but danger that awaits them. They're going to end up in the frying pan. That's just how it works. Same is true for us. Look what James says, verse 15. Then desire when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So once we are lured and trapped, enticed and hooked, it's death that awaits us. So let's talk for just a few minutes this morning about how we get ourselves hooked because if we can understand how we get ourselves hooked, we can keep ourselves from being hooked. So let's, let's look at this. I think, there's a, I think there's a three-step process in which this takes place. Number one, you are exposed. You're exposed. You know, maybe you, you, you're, you're playing with the neighborhood kids and somebody says, hey, let's play doctor, right? Like, and, there, and then you're, you're exposed to something sexual or something deviant or or maybe, you know, as, a, as an adolescent boy or whatever, or even less than adolescent, depending on whatever, your you know, mom's kind of walking you through the wall and you walk by Victoria's Secrets and you think to yourself as a young boy, I don't think Victoria's got many secrets left. Like I said, I just don't think there's anything left for her to hide. Or maybe, maybe it's, it's darker than that. Maybe, maybe you were abused, but you were exposed to something that, that your pure mind had, had never experienced before. For me, uh, it happened, um, I think, I'm trying to, I was trying to remember this week, and I can't, fifth or sixth grade, I uh, went over to a, a neighbor's house, a friend of mine, and he had somehow, I don't even know how he got it, procured a, a Playboy, and we were ecstatic. It was like, kid, it was like kids on Christmas. Um, and so we, you know, for multiple days during the week, every chance I had, we'd go over there, we'd pull it out from his hiding place or whatever, and then from cover to cover, we'd read every single article. I mean, just article after article. <laughs> right. And some of you are like, they got articles? Like, you didn't even, you didn't even know, right? I, I, was, I was exposed. And, and then the second thing happens. You're injured. You receive an, an injury. There was a point in your life where your mind, it was pure. And there, was, there was nothing disturbing, nothing confusing about anything. And then... Because of your exposure, something happened, something in you changed, and your mind became polluted. And you were never going to be the same. 
you were injured. You have a wound. And that wound leads to something that all of us are, have experienced, and you become conflicted. You're conflicted. Because, let's be honest, for most of us, you know, outside of the, the, the abuse maybe, but it, the, the, the stuff that we're, that we're enticed by, the stuff that we're exposed to, the stuff that changes the way we think, we, we kind of like it, don't we? We like it. We feel some excitement and some, some enjoyment from it, and simultaneously we feel shame. And guilt, knowing that it's, it's, it's wrong, but I like it, and I, I, I feel wrong for liking it. We kind of, you know, Paul in, in Romans 7 says that, you know, the things that I, I don't want to do, those are the things that I do, and the things that I, that I do are the things that I don't want to do. We, we get this conflicted, confused mind as it relates to the wound that we've suffered. And we're just like that fish that sees the worm. It's just hanging there, and we, we're hooked. Because James said, desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, it brings forth death. That's how we get hooked. It starts with exposure. Next comes the injury. And as a result of the injury, we experience the, the conflict in our own mind of, I like it, but I don't want to. And we tend to, to, to want to rationalize away the guilt. Like we, we don't like conflict in our own minds. Like I like having a sound mind and a focused mind. And so if I'm experiencing enjoyment and guilt, I don't really want to get rid of the enjoyment. I just want to get rid of the guilt. So we begin to rationalize that, hey, everybody does it. I mean, it's just playboy. It's, it's, what's the big deal? And, and we find ways in our minds to make it okay so that we can remove the conflict from ourselves. But according to God, for us to lust is to have already committed adultery. It's, it's bigger than that. It's deeper than that. It's more harmful than that. So, so let's talk for a few minutes about how we keep from being hooked. Like if we, if we know how it is that we get hooked, let's talk a little bit about how we prevent that. How do we, how do we stay away from the temptation? Now, a lot of you that have been with us for, for quite some time, now you've heard me talk uh, somewhat regularly about the, the chocolate stampede from Longhorn Restaurant. Um, it is the most delectable thing God has placed on planet Earth. Um, I, I believe angels make it and then deliver it to Longhorn. Um, now I've, I've said on multiple occasions that that stuff is so good. You put it on top of your head, your tongue will beat your brains out trying to get to it. I said, that stuff is so good, if you put it on top of your head, your tongue will beat your brains out trying to get to it. <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> we, I said that a couple of years ago for the first time, and somebody saw Madeline sign that. I've been waiting for the opportunity to do that again. Now, there's nothing more enticing to me as it pertains to food than the chocolate stampede. But on occasion, rare as they may be, I have found myself at Longhorn and not partaken of the chocolate stampede. Can any of you think of any reason in the world 
why you or myself would say no to something that is hand-delivered from the angels to earth. give Give me the reason that you would say no to dessert. Come on, just tell me. Too full, right? Too full. Or I'm getting fat. I heard that. I, I, that's, that's biblical also. All right, but, but for the sake of my sermon, so we can all stay on the same page, we're going to go with the answer, too full. When I'm already full, I cannot be enticed to consume more. I would uh, challenge you to or ask you to write it down this way if you're taking notes. I cannot be enticed. When I am already full. And you say, well, pastor, what am I supposed to be full of? Godly things. When we are so full of Christ, we cannot be enticed. It's not the Reverend Al Sharpton. Y'all hear that? When we're so full of Christ... We can't be enticed. I'm going to put that on my rap album. Like, I'm, I'm going to hit it. Like, when we're full already, there's no room for us to further be enticed by the things of the world. So the answer to our lust problem is Jesus. When we're full of Jesus, we cannot be enticed. Now, here's, listen, I get it. I, again, I am not completely disconnected. That is the most preacher-like thing you could expect anybody to ever say. If you were to come to a a preacher, you would expect them to say, Pastor, how do I fix my lust problem? You need more Jesus. Like, it's just, it's just, it's such the church answer, but it's so true. It's so true. Because you and I, in our original design and the way that we were originally created, were designed to be filled, directed, guided by Christ. Much in the same way that a gasoline engine is intended to run on gasoline. You put something other than gasoline into a gasoline engine and it doesn't run very well. You guys can ask our sound guy, Jeremy. Jeremy decided to put diesel into a gasoline engine and then he don't have that truck anymore, right? Because it's It's designed to run on one thing and he puts something else in it. Our lives, your life and my life in our original design were intended to be ran on Christ. And when we fill our lives with something other than Christ, they don't run very well. This is, uh, this is what James says just a few verses later. We read verses 13 and 14 and 15. If you skip down with me. To, to verse 21, James says this, James says, therefore, because we don't want any of that stuff, because we don't want to be enticed, because we don't want to be allured, because we don't want to be hooked, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Now, you got got to be careful that we we don't miss the cause and effect in this verse, right? In order for us to be filled with the meekness of the implanted word, we have to remove the filthiness and rampant wickedness. 
Put away those things so that you can receive the other thing. The two cannot coexist. The Bible says that light and darkness cannot exist in the same place. And as long as our lives are filled with lust, Jesus has no room. But the exact opposite is very true. That when our lives are full of Christ, there's no room for anything else. And that is our goal. Now, you, me, all of us, we were born with a lust problem. We were born with it. And, and right now, especially this week and over the last couple of weeks, everybody wants to know, what is, what is the church's position on the social and political issues that are being talked about in the news and on, you know, in the newspaper and in the magazine and on Facebook, God forbid. Like, like, where does the church stand on that? Let me... Let me give you my official position. I, I, I didn't, I, just, just for clarity, I didn't run this by the other pastors. We're not going to put this on the website as the Fusion City Church official position on social and political issues. This is the Pastor Brian Duncan official position. You ready? Here we go. Our world has a lust problem. That's my official position. Our world has a lust problem, and the decisions that are being made are being made through the lens of the problem. Now, With that said, you know who else has a lust problem? Me. I got a lust problem. I was born with it. My flesh, my humanity, everything about me that is apart from Christ would desire to have sex with every pretty girl that would let me. That's what what my flesh wants. That's what I want. Like my, my flesh, my humanity, who I am, any girl that would let me, I would want to. Can I tell you why I don't? Because I'm committed to Christ. I'm committed to Christ. And I've worked to fill my life so full of Christ and be so committed to what he wants that there's no room for anything else. Here's why I'm faithful to my wife in deed and thought because I'm committed to Christ. You see, I think so many of us in the world would think that we're committed to our spouse because of the commitment that we made to our spouse. Think about that for a minute. You gotta consider this for a minute. A commitment made between two individuals on this earth, two humans, is a commitment made by one flawed and messed up individual to another flawed and messed up individual. Those commitments don't last and don't hold very long because both of you are jacked up. Come on, let's be honest. But when we make a commitment to something higher, something that has an authority in my life, then my commitment to Christ is to become the husband that he has commanded me to be instead of trying to be the husband that the world would prefer I be. See, my my commitment to my spouse is only as strong as my commitment to Christ. And when I am filled with Christ, my commitment to her has never been stronger. See, listen, here. Christ is central to our lives, not our spouse. Now, marriage, your husband, your wife, that is the most intimate and tightly connected human relationship you should or will ever experience. But if they are the central point, if your world revolves around your spouse, somebody's in the wrong spot. My my wife is amazing. She is fantastic, but she makes a horrible God. So when I commit my life to Christ, 
I will be committed to my wife because the gospel bids me that. And if we're ever going to, if we want to be the kind of spouses that, that Christ has called us to be, then it starts with making him central in our lives. And watch this. I love this because we want to, uh, I'm trying to get off my soapbox, but I don't think, I'm gonna, I don't think it's going to happen. I, I'm so frustrated with those inside of the church that want to do nothing more than yell at those outside of the church when we ain't got it figured out yet. Just I mean, imagine with me for a minute what this looks like. If every Christian, we'll just use that term, whatever. If every Christian were as devoted and committed to their spouse as Christ commands, then inside of the church, there would be no divorce. If there would be, it would be a 0%. And those who are outside of the church, those who are outside of a relationship with Christ, when looking at those crazy Christian people inside of the church who never experienced divorce, they say, maybe there's something to this crazy Jesus stuff. Because people inside the church never get divorced. And us outside of the church, we've got 60, 70% divorce. Like maybe they've got something figured out. Hey, we should check it out. But we can't make that boast and we can't be that example when the marriages inside of the church look just like the marriages outside of the church. We have no authority until we get it right. They're not going to listen to anything we have to say until we become better at being the Christians and the Christ followers that God has called us to. There might be a few less of y'all here next week after that comment, but that's okay. Students and, and, and single people, did you know that you are commanded by Scripture to be faithful to your spouse? What spouse? <laughs> How does that work? Exactly. You can become committed to your spouse before you ever have one. You want to know how? You become committed to Christ. It's Christ that commanded us that, that, that no, no sexual intimacy until marriage. You, want to be, you, you, you are commanded to be faithful to your spouse before you ever have one. And the only way that that's possible is when we fill our lives with Christ so that the temptations and the depravity of this world become less appealing. It's the only answer. It's the only way that we'll ever accomplish it. Our role as believers is to be as much like Christ as we possibly can. And the closer that we get to Christ, the more of the life that he promised we'll begin to experience. Jesus said, I came to give life and give it abundantly. That it should be a fullness to our life. We should enjoy life. That it should, be, it should be identified by things like hope and joy and peace. And the closer we get to him, the more of those things we begin to experience. And the more of those things we begin to experience, the more the world will want to know what it is that we've got figured out. Here's what that looks like on a bigger picture. Watch this. This is awesome. The more you and I change to become like Christ, the more that the world, by natural byproduct of wanting to know what it is that we figured out, will change also. Do you follow that? You tracking with that? The more that we change, the more the world will change. And people outside of the church don't care what your preacher has to say. They don't, they, don't, they don't love Jesus like you do. They don't love Jesus like I do. To tell them Jesus said doesn't mean anything to them. You know what will mean something to them? Wanting the life that you have because you are so tied to Christ that your life is identified by things like hope and peace and joy and fulfillment and purpose and fullness. That's how we change the world. 
but it starts with us. I told you that was a soapbox moment. Like I was talking about lust and I'm talking about evangelism. It's just how my mind goes, but but follow me. Let's, let's, Let's get back to our problem. How do we fix it? How do we get it right? How do we change our lives? Let me, let me give you two thoughts. I'll hit these really quickly. Number one, here's how we, here's how we determine a, a new direction for our life. We protect the injury that we've, that we've encountered, that we've experienced. If our, if our enticement, if, the, if the, the thing that hooks us is a result of the injury that we have endured, then we have to protect the injury so that we don't become further injured. When you break your leg, you don't go run a marathon. When, when, you, when you experience an injury, you have to protect it so that it can heal and so that you don't get injured any further. So the first thing we have to do is we have to protect the injury. We talked a lot about this in our guardrails series. And I, I don't want to rehash all of that. If you, have, if you weren't here for the guardrails series, I'd, I'd love for you to go to our website and just look, listen online, find the messages, guardrails series. But here's what we talked about. That in order for us to avoid the things that we want to avoid, we can't do that by happenstance. We have to have a plan. The things that are going to entice us when we know that I'm enticed by those things, when I know that those things draw me, when I know that those things are there to entrap me, the only way I can avoid those is if I had a plan. Now, fish are too stupid to have a plan, so we're going to keep catching fish. But you and I don't have to be that dumb. We can have a plan. Like, I know where the danger is. I'm going to avoid the danger so that I don't fall in. We have to have a plan so that we can protect and guard our lives against further injury. And number two, talked about it already, but just to put it in text, we have to pursue Christ. We have to pursue Christ. The only way to keep from being tempted, enticed, drawn in, and destroyed is to already be full of the things that we were designed to be filled with. You were designed to be filled with Christ. And so my hope is that we as a church family, we as individuals, it has to start with us as the individual. It can't start with us until it starts with you. So my hope is that each and every one of us this morning will make this commitment. God, I'm gonna do whatever I got to to fill my life with you. Uh, we, we try to provide avenues and mediums for you to be able to do that here at Fusion City Church. We, we want to get you connected into a group of people so that you can do life with them. We talked a lot about connect groups. We want you to be in a group, not because we want to say, wow, we got a bunch of people in groups, but because that's the best way to pursue Christ. We, we weren't designed to do life alone. We're designed, designed to do life with other believers. We want you to be in a connect group so that you can pursue Christ. And we, we want you to read your Bible every day. Why? Because we want you to pursue Christ. We want you to spend regular time in prayer with God. Why? Because that's how you pursue Christ. And the more, the more full of Christ you become, the less enticing and appealing the things of the world are going to be. You want to beat lust in your life? You've got to fill yourself up with Jesus. And I know it's the, it's the typical church answer. Man, it's so true. So as we prepare to commit together this morning, let me ask you if you'd pray with me. Father God, it's a, it's a dangerous world we live in. And the things that we encounter and the things that trip us up and the, the sin that so easily entangles, as your word puts it, God is always waiting for us because we have an enemy that wants to do nothing more than destroy us. Now, we don't fight against this world. We don't fight against the, the 
people that we see, your word makes it really clear. Our war is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and evils in the spiritual realm. God, we have a spiritual enemy who prowls around like a lion looking to devour. God, for myself and so many others in this room, God, I know that there's, he's won some battles in our life. We lost, he won. Because the fantastic message of your gospel is that in a relationship with you, Father, there is healing and there is restoration and there is redemption and God, there is new life. So Lord, this morning as we commit together to be the people that you've called us to, God, both for the purpose of resisting temptation in our lives and for the purpose of extending the message and the reach of the gospel to those that don't yet know you. God, we ask you to help us. We can't do it alone. We're not strong enough on our own. God, we need you. So, Father, help us to be the people that you've called us to be. Fill us so full of your son, Jesus, that nothing of this world will have any room to fit. God, for the one here this morning that doesn't know you, I pray that today would serve as a a time of decision, of change. That God, today in this moment right now, that they would commit their lives to following you, to filling themselves with your Holy Spirit and with the direction and guidance from your son so that, God, they can resist temptation also. Father, we love you and we thank you for your son, Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen.